Let's get our Bibles tonight. I'd be turning to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. I don't know why I thought about this while Brother Hoke was leading the singing, but a couple of months ago, my wife and I were traveling north, and we were on 61, just this south of, just south of, just this side of Hannibal, just driving along, minding our own business, and I got a text that said, 40 mi- 45 miles per hour speed limit, and I looked in my rear view mirror, and there was Justin driving his company truck. And I was only driving 46 and a half, but he's got a critical spirit. He said, I'll not tell. And I said, good. I said, by the way, you're not supposed to be texting while you're driving, are you? <laughs> I said, it's okay, I won't tell. <laughs> anyway, happens to the best of us. I got, I got found out. Acts chapter 15, we're going to read here just one verse to begin with and then read a lot of the chapter, but let's stand together please. You know, the book of Acts is such a, an inspiring book really because we have, you know, the pouring out of the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 upon the church and we have the gospel being given to people of all these different languages and some nationalities, the work of uh, the beginning of the reproduction of churches, evangelism, missions, and uh, of course in uh, the Antioch church being established, which became really one of the real examples of mission work in the world. But you have to keep in mind when you're studying the book of Acts, as exciting and wonderful as it is, that it's a transitional book because, you know, the disciples, the apostles, the churches are really navigating through waters that have never been traveled. There never had been churches. Most of these believers were Jewish believers. Those Jewish believers had been steeped in Judaism, were very faithful to the rituals and the ceremony of the Jewish religion. And so this text has to do with really a disagreement or a conflict in how it was resolved. And we're going to look at it together tonight. But look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And... I just want to think about that phrase, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. We're going to look at that phrase initially, then we're going to look at the context, which will take us several minutes because we're going to look at a big part of the 15th chapter, but then look at some very practical application of an important principle. So let's pray again as we start. Father, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, tonight that you'd bless as we study it. We thank you for this book, what it means to us. There's so much about it that we have yet to learn. But God, we want to be learners. We want to be disciples. And so we, we tonight just pray for your help. Thank you for those who are here, Lord, to worship you, to fellowship together. Lord, we need each other. And we need the churches that are standing strong for your word in this country and around the world. 
We pray that tonight you just bless and, and edify us and strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now this text we're looking at, beginning in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. This is a message being sent from the Jerusalem church to the Antioch church. Now, this is not critically important, maybe for everyone, but Antioch's not even in Israel. Antioch is in Syria. And the Antioch church started when disciples were being converted there. The church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. And there Barnabas began to make disciples. And he went and got Saul of Tarsus and brought him. And they began to work together there in Antioch. A great church was established. And then Paul and Barnabas were sent out of that church. Now, here we have a case where the, the people came from Jerusalem. We're going to read about it in a moment ago. They went to Antioch spreading some false doctrine. Paul and Barnabas, the others go down to the church to get this straightened out. And now this is a letter being sent from the Jerusalem church and their leaders back to Antioch. And what it says in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, they said, we are confident that our decision is not just our decision. We believe the Lord has led us. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Now that's a great thing to be, that's a blessed place to be in agreement with God, that we're, we're on the same page God is on. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Agreement is a beautiful thing. You know, Brother Hawkins uh, brought a great lesson in Sunday school a few weeks ago on unity. And um, he referred to a passage in the psalm, Psalm 133, that says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a blessing. It's, a, it's pleasing to God. Unity is pleasing to God. Now, by the way, being in unity doesn't mean... That, that everybody is on the same page about every single matter. It just means we're in harmony. We're working together. And so we're going to look at this passage today and, and see the challenges they were faced with and how they came to an agreement about it. So let's just back up to the first part of Acts chapter 15. And I want us just to walk through this tonight as though we're walking through a book of the Bible and just kind of getting a feel for what's happening in... Verse 1 of Acts chapter 15, it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this is a very, very important thing to consider the false doctrine, the error that they're teaching. Notice where they're from. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. They're teaching the brethren there. And it doesn't tell us here where they're meeting, but just look up a few verses above that in verse 26 of Acts 14. And it says, And thence sailed to Antioch. That's when Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch, reporting in after the first missionary journey. And so these from Judea, that's, the, that's where Jerusalem is. That's where Israel is. These false, this false doctrine has made its way from Judea all the way to Antioch. And this was the nature of their teaching, the last half of verse 15. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. Now, obviously, that's teaching another gospel, that, that, you're, that some Old Testament rite, R-I-T-E, rite, is necessary for salvation. We heard about that from Ephesians uh, this Sunday school, this past week in Sunday school, Brother Jedediah teaching about that passage in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So they're, they're telling people that you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Verse 2. Now, we're, I'm not going to spend so much time on the rest of it, but I really want to understand what the issue was. Verse 2. When, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words, they had quite a fallen out about it. Not a minor thing. Paul and Barnabas were pretty stirred up about it, this false doctrine. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem with the apostles and elders about this question. They're going to send Paul and Barnabas and some other believers to Jerusalem to talk about this issue. And um, if you look in verse 4, it says, And when they were come to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, these other people from Antioch, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders and they declared all things that God had done with them. So they came to, from Syria, from Antioch to Jerusalem. They began to testify about what the Lord had done. It said the church received them in verse 2, verse 5 now. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these, it, was a, it was a hard thing for Jewish, some Jewish people to realize that the purpose of the Jewish ceremonial law had been fulfilled. It had been completed. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And some of these, it's hard for people to give up their traditions it's hard for people to break away from things that they grew up believing and thinking, and that's exactly what's happening with these Jewish people. They're, they're turning to Christ, but they want to hold on to all their ceremony and, their, and all of their um, traditions and all of their uh, festivities, the holidays, the festivals, the Jewish, all the Jewish uh, things. And, and so they're saying that they're saying you got to have that. That's what he says in verse 5. That, was, that, uh, that it was needful to circumcise them, talking about new believers, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Um, this is just one of many places in the Bible where it makes it very clear that New Testament believers are not under the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. We're under the moral law. We're under the, you know, the, the commandments, thou shalt not steal and bear false witness and, and murder, those kind of things. But we're not under that, those, all those ceremonies and rituals. And it's, it's very clear. And so there's a conflict here. So verse 6 says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. So it seems like it wasn't all the church here. It was just the apostles, the elders, the the entourage, Paul and Barnabas and others that came from uh, Antioch, and they're going to talk about it. Now look in verse 7. 
And from verse 7 and a few verses, Peter's going to stand up and have his say. And when there had been much disputing, much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about when he was directed to go to Cornelius' house and to bring the gospel in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius and his family and that they would believe. Verse 8, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And, talking about God, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. In other words, saved by faith alone. Now therefore, verse 10, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And very good summation in verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Now there's a couple of reasons that's really a powerful statement. Number one, it's from Peter who was a you know, one of the recognized leaders, if not the leader among the 12 of the apostles. But also, because it was Peter who struggled with the whole idea of going to Cornelius' house to begin with, remember? And God let this sheet down and these animals in it. And he, God said, take and eat. And he said, I've never eaten anything that was, was uh, unclean. And, and he really wrestled with that whole thing. And, but God was teaching him, you need to go to these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, and give the gospel to them. And God had been working in Cornelius' life. So Peter had to learn his lesson himself. And so Peter's a logical one to stand up and speak first. Then in verse 12 it says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So Paul and Barnabas have their say, and what they're doing is giving testimony to how God has been using them. Notice it says the last part of verse 12, among the Gentiles. Now, I've already mentioned this more than once, but I just want to emphasize it. Uh, they were, the Jewish community was struggling with the fact that the Gentiles that they considered to be dogs were being converted, were being saved, and starting churches, and and so he says, look what God has done among the Gentiles in verse 12. Verse 13, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or Simon, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets. What Peter said is about the Gentiles receiving the gospel, James says, is what the prophets in the Old Testament said, as it is written here in verse 16. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So James says what is happening, gentlemen, is the very thing that the Old Testament, and Amos, actually the prophet, the Old Testament, 
declared and promised would be so. Known unto God are all these works from the beginning of the world. Verse 19, I have this verse underlined in my Bible. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Keep in mind, and I want to say this because we see sometimes people who are being drawn into this belief system. And maybe you've seen it, maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. New Testament, I'm talking about in our generation, people who have been drawn into this notion that as New Testament believers, we're supposed to practice all of the Old Testament um, festivities and festivals. But there, there's no hint of that in here. I mean, there's, there's not a matter of fact, he says that's not, that is not required. And notice what he does say in, in verse 19 and 20. James says, my sentence is, let's hit the pause button again. Who gives James the right to say my sentence is? In other words, this is what I, it's like this is what I, I strongly recommend, I strongly suggest. And it is because James was at that time the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so everybody has their peace, everybody has their say, but he says this is what I really believe we ought to do. That we trouble them, not them, verse 19, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but he's going to give them just a few basic guidelines. But that we write unto them, we're going to write to them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled. That's, that's um, Old Testament Levitical law. And from blood, eating of drinking of blood in verse 20. So we... There's no hint that believers are bound by Jewish ceremony. Just so we're going to give them, James says, let's just give them four basic guidelines to follow. Verse 21, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So that's James's answer. So let's just, let's just take, step back just for a second. We're in, a, we're in kind of a meeting there's conflict because in Jerusalem there are these people who believe that a circumcision is necessary for salvation. They don't even believe it. They're spreading it. It's got all the way to Antioch. Uh, Paul and Barnabas get stirred up about it. They're sent back down to Jerusalem and there they're having this meeting, this discussion and these various leaders are speaking and so everybody's kind of airing it out. And James gives his his strong uh, recommendation there. Then we just, now let's look, picking up in verse 22, how the church there in Jerusalem responds. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company from Jerusalem to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely, here's who they're going to send, Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So we're going to send these people, chosen men. They're going to go and, and take these letters. Verse 23, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. This is the greeting, verse 24, from the church of Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. For as much as we 
have heard that certain which went out from us, keep in mind the Jerusalem church is saying this, certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls. In other words, causing conflict and division and things of that nature. Saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. Notice this. To whom we gave no such commandment. They didn't represent the church. They didn't have the church's church's authorization. They were just going out on their own. We gave no such commandment. Verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord. Notice they didn't say it seemed good to James or good to Peter or good to Barnabas and Paul. It seemed good to us. It seemed good to the church. The church is in agreeing on this. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. They're going to bring you the written record, the testimony, the minutes of the meeting, but they're also going to be there to testify firsthand. They were here. They saw it. They heard the conversation. And that brings us all the way back to verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And he repeats those four things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare you well. In other words, we're not, gonna, we're not putting on you all the Old Testament laws and regulations. If you'll just do these four things, then it'll be for your own benefit. And... I really want, uh, now we come closer to the end of this passage, verse 28, this, this whole statement, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. In other words, we're confident God is leading us in this. It, seemed, it didn't just seem good to us. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. We're in agreement with God, and God is in agreement with what we've decided on. By the way, what were they seeking They were seeking God's direction. They were seeking for God's opinion, God's truth. And that, to me, is such a valuable principle that I just want to emphasize for a few moments tonight. Because that ought to be our position. Individually, that ought to be our position. What is is God's opinion about this? Whatever it is we're thinking about. Whatever it is we're thinking about doing. any, Any matter of life. I understand that it's very easy for people to just say, well, this is what I would like to do, or this is what I want to do, or this is what my friends are doing. But that's not the best question to ask. The best question to ask is, what does God think about this? What is God's direction? Uh, you know, we want to, what we want to know is the mind of the Lord. Two, two weeks ago, seemed like a lot longer than that, two weeks ago, we looked at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul talked about, you know, how we can have the mind of Christ, have the mind of God about something. And that's what we want is the mind of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but say, even since then, I've been challenged in my own Christian life, my own journey, just to be more mindful on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis. God, what, I need your help about this. What do you want us to do about this? That's the way God wants us to live. 
far too many people who no doubt are probably saved, but they live like salvation is just what takes me to heaven, but I've got to figure everything else out on my own. That's not what the Bible teaches. God has something better for that. We want to know the mind of the Lord. I, I was thinking today and teaching this or preparing to teach this, you know, about our preaching conference that we host normally every other year, but we did it last year or this year. We're going to do it again next year, Lord willing. And there's a lot that goes into that, but we had, if not 100, almost 100, maybe even a little over 100, 100 preachers attended. There's a lot of preachers. That's a lot of, that's a lot of men of the cloth. And many of them, actually, maybe even most of them, when they come to a conference like that, and there are other conferences on that same kind of conference where you don't have one or two main speakers, you just choose from people that are there. Of those hundred people, all of them would like to preach. And wouldn't, you know, wouldn't that be fun? Instead of, instead of having 16 preachers, we would have 100 preachers, right? That'd be great. And so, so the whole point is our church spends a considerable amount of time praying for God to lead. Lord, we want to know what you want. I mean, don't you think God can lead us in matters like that? We know that he can. Some people may not think it's that important, but I think it is important. We pray much about that. And it would be easy for someone who came to one of those meetings, and, I, and I'm telling you, some of them, I love hearing them preach. I've been to their churches and where they pastor, and, and uh, I've heard them preach. It'd be easy for them, if you wasn't spiritual, to get offended and say, well, why didn't I get asked to preach? You know what I'm saying? But what we want is the mind of the Lord. And even when I go to a conference, a similar conference, which we do sometimes, and, and you don't know when you get there if you're going to be asked to preach. And I, my prayer is, God, I want whoever's asked to preach, I want, I want the Lord to lead. If it's not me, whoever it is, let, I just want the Lord to have his way. That's the way we ought to be about it. And um, so the point, you, by the way, you may think it's always easy to get a bunch of preachers to agree. Not necessarily so, I can tell you for sure. But we see this in this text. We have these, we have these men. We have Peter, in, kind of impulsive and impromptu Peter. We have, we have Barnabas, the great encourager. We have James, who is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem at this time. We have Paul, of course. We have other respected leaders, elders, the Bible calls them. And you know what they're looking for? Here's the point. And maybe, maybe I'm put, just making too much of this, but here's the point. They were looking for God to lead them. The wisdom of God is what they wanted. And that's why they could say it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. What, an, what a, a source of confidence for you, for me, for any of us to believe that God is leading us. That God himself is leading us. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised tonight if there are not folks sitting here thinking, you know, I need to do that more in my life. Look for God to lead me. Ask God to lead me. And sometimes we get frustrated with what's going on in our life, and maybe sometimes it's because we're not really looking to the Lord and trusting Him for guidance. We all need this. We need it, you know. I, I, I use my wife and I as examples probably too much, but 
We have times in our marriage when we don't necessarily exactly agree on a certain thing. It could be a big decision, could be a big purchase, could be, you know, a major decision, could be what restaurant we're going to go to. Right? And she always says this, I don't care. I don't care. I said, but you have to care. No, I don't care. We were up off of Olive one day, and I asked her three or four times, what, where you don't, I don't care. So I pulled into a Burger King. <laughs> and she said, what are you doing here? I said, well, you said you didn't care. But she didn't care. We didn't go there. But the point is, you know, what do you do when that happens? Now, this is, I'm making kind of a lot of it, but this is very serious. I respect her perspective. She, she respects my perspective. But I believe God can help us both if we're looking for God to lead us. God wants to lead us. And obviously, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the fact that we just recently, I think, had a very um, uh, good and, and I believe spirit-led uh, election process for uh, deacons. I'm thinking about the fact that I talked to the church you know, a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we're going to be looking and praying about the next step for the church as far as a pastor is concerned. And, and really the whole thing is, not a, is about God's leadership. What does God have? All of us should be excited about whatever God's will is. And so we can trust the Lord for that. You know, we want to have the same mind. Go, go with me if you would to Philippians for just a moment. Go to the right, a few books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And look in Philippians chapter 2. I just want to look at two verse, a couple of verses in Philippians. Chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul writes and says, Fulfill ye my joy. Fulfill. Help my joy to be full, Paul writes to this church in Philippi. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then he, he gets into this very powerful um, declaration, really, teaching about the humility of Christ. You know, let this mind be in you, verse 5, which is in Christ Jesus, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. And so he says, fulfill my joy by being one accord and in one mind. And look over, in, and so he tells, he tells this church to do this. He encourages the church to do this. But look in chapter 4 then, and just the first two verses there. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown... So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then he says this. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Sintachi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now what Paul did was he called out these two characters. Actually, they were women. They weren't characters, they were women. He's just said the whole church, I want you to be in one mind. And then he says to these two people in verse 2, I beseech, and he calls them by name, Euodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, they need to get on the same page. They need to be unified. They need to be in agreement. And that's really such a, 
It's always important for a church to be in one accord, to be in agreement. I, I would just, you ought to make, make a mental note of this or write this down. Look sometimes, put it into your Bible software, uh, one accord, that phrase one accord, and how many times it's spoken of in there. It's just a beautiful phrase. It just means to be in harmony. For, for what? For God's leadership and God's direction. When we think about missions, we're thinking, you know, over the next couple of weeks about missions, about supporting missionaries. Missionaries are going to be our guests. We're going to be looking at some new missionaries to add that we're supporting. And what ought we be doing? We ought to be praying for God's leadership, for God's wisdom, for God's direction. And, uh, and I'm praying for that. I mean, it matters. I think if all of us together are praying and seeking the Lord for His mind, don't you think God's able to work in our lives and help us to know what His mind is about something? And so it would be a great thing to be able to say, the Holy Ghost and we agree. The Holy Ghost is, 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 is our witness that what we're doing is really believe God is in it. And I believe if we do that and we pray that way, God's going to bless it. So that's my... My challenge to the church, and I'm not going to make a reference every time I preach to the fact that, you know, we're planning and, and praying for the next step, but I think it, I want the church to be on board seeking God about it. It's not, this is not just my concern, it's our concern, it's all of our concern. I've been very encouraged by some of the comments I've heard from some of our people just saying, praise God. You're leaving. No, no, not exactly. But they have said, you know, we're, we're getting a better mindset about it. We're praying about it, seeking the Lord about it. And that's what I want. That's what I want the church doing. So, so back to wrapping up in Acts 15. I just want to read the phrase once again. In verse 25, this letter from the Jerusalem leaders to the Antioch church in verse 25 says it seemed good unto us it's being assembled with one accord with such beautiful language it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord and then verse 28 for it seems good to us or to the Holy Ghost and to us God is God has let us know that even though it's good for us, it's good for in our minds, but it's also good in the mind, in the heart of God as well. And that is a good place to be. Amen. Let's bow our heads together for a moment of prayer. What about tonight, your personal walk, your personal journey as a teenager, as a single adult, as a married adult? What about your personal uh, journey? Are you, are you, don't answer in any other way but in your own heart. Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you at the place where you know that you are day by day by day being as utterly dependent upon God as you can be? Or would you need to say, you know, I nearly need to put this into practice more. Trusting the Lord and asking God for guidance. 
letting him lead me. Tonight, let's just do that. Say, Lord, help me to learn to do this. Help me to make this a pattern for my life, discipline for my life. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for this record in this book of Acts about the church at Antioch recognizing the danger of this erroneous teaching going to the church at Jerusalem and all these leaders seeking you together, giving their opinion, their heart about it, and coming to an agreement that this is what you wanted. Lord, I, what a great pattern, what a great example for us for any time, but especially at this time. So we just pray that, Lord, we could be that in that place, that we're just yielded to you, seeking you in one accord about your will, not our will, but your will. Help it to be a part of our, our thinking process and as far as missions is concerned, missionaries to support individually, what we give to missions, how we pray for missionaries. Lord, we want to be right in the center of your will, individually, as families, collectively as a body of Christ. So work in our hearts.